You're listening to The Bridge Between Podcast, a weekly exploration of how a family history project transformed into a search for understanding, truth, and the points of connection between people. In dialoguing with others, we begin to understand ourselves. My name is Cisco Ramos, and this is The Bridge Between. Have you ever wondered about the language you spoke and heard as a child, where it came from, the way it sounds in your ear? Several years ago, I took a flight from LaGuardia Airport in New York City to El Paso, Texas for Christmas. There was a middle-aged gentleman in snakeskin cowboy boots, Wrangler jeans, and a well-worn cowboy hat that must have been older than I was at the time. He picked up the phone, and I could only hear his responses. Aha, yes, bueno. There was a long pause as he listened intently to whomever was on the other end of the line. He looked down, he looked up, he crossed his arms, and he seemed to be weighing a decision, the kind of decision that needs input from several different sources. And after some time, and in a very clear voice, in Terminal B, at some ungodly early hour in the morning, this man said, Pues, puse la troca. In unmistakable Spanglish, he said, well, move the truck. At that moment, while his decision was still lingering in the air, in a split second, I knew this man was from the frontera and was most likely going to El Paso. He was on the flight to Chicago. He would make the connection there, I said to myself as we boarded the plane. We arrived several hours later, and sure enough, at that much smaller gate at O'Hare, he was sitting and waiting to find a seat. I knew all of this would happen simply by looking at his clothes, the kind of boots he wore, his belt, the words he used, the sound of his voice. This man, como yo, is bien fronterizado. The frontera is properly imagined as a gritty area, a space between, on the margins of Mexican and American society. It's imagined as a place where people go to escape, either from, th from themselves or the law, a place to be forgotten, perhaps the last destination for those hoping to remake themselves. When I conducted graduate fieldwork in Veracruz, Mexico, I often found myself talking to many people about myself and life on the frontera. What surprised me most about the interactions were not the words that were used in conversation. You know, where are your parents and grandparents from? Where have you traveled in Mexico? Where in the north are you from? Rather, it was the experience of dialoguing about more fundamental questions about where Mexico and the United States converge. What is Mexico? Where does the frontera begin? And particularly for those of us who are of both worlds, what is our relationship to both countries and cultures? This to me was eye-opening because it allowed me to see with my own eyes and through my own experiences, the invisible and powerful points of deep connection between and across both countries. It is not hyperbole to say that I learned more about being an American while living abroad than I did while living in America. Blinders have a way of being revealed. The familiar has a way of becoming strange. The difference is a matter of exposure. I don't say that lightly and without reflection. I'll give you two vignettes that I can think of off the top of my head. I've had many that I've had to write down, but I'm only going to offer two. The first centers on a man who I'll call Guillermo. Guillermo was in his mid-sixties, comfortably middle class, and somehow and in ways that I never asked directly, plugged into the teacher's union, the sindicato. 
I used to speak to Guillermo all the time because he was fascinated by the idea of the American dream. In conversation after conversation, he would ask me about my parents and simultaneously wonder how they could have done it. Meaning, they were poor, they were without connections, they worked hard, they sent their kids to good schools, and they achieved some kind of social mobility. And that idea doesn't subscribe to the reality of most Mexicans that I know. In Mexico, connections and mon money largely define one's lot in life. Even during an election season, I believe it was a gubernatorial election, I remember debating with Guillermo and some of my colleagues from the Veracruzana about the importance of voting. In different settings, with different people, the message I received was the same. Francisco, voting simply doesn't matter. It's rigged, they would tell me. The next step in our conversation eventually became familiar. If you, Francisco, are telling me that the American dream is still alive, still kicking, then how do you account for? And it was usually in those moments, towards the end of that question, that I was asked something that really had no answer. Sometimes it was about foreign policy, sometimes it was about immigration. And in this instance, and in these moments, it became quite clear to me that the cultural and historical claim I was making about being Mexican could only go so far. It was like they were telling me, Si, Francisco, históricamente tú eres mexicano. Si, Francisco, culturalmente tú eres mexicano. Si, pues, tu familia es de Chihuahua, Jalisco y Durango, pero tú, Francisco, tú eres mexicano y algo más. I'll never forget those conversations because they were real, and they were personal, and they forced me and my friends to think and push beyond what we thought we knew. Yes, Francisco, you are Mexican, they told me, but you, Francisco, you are Mexican in something else. This reminded me of a now famous passage from a book called Borderlands La Frontera, The New Frontiers by the great Gloria Anzaldúa. The U.S.-Mexican border es una herida abierta, is an open wound where the third world grates against the first and bleeds, and before a scab forms, it hemorrhages again, the lifeblood of two worlds merging to form a third country, a border culture. Borders are set up to define the places that are safe and unsafe, to distinguish us from them. A border is a dividing line, a narrow strip along a steep edge. A borderland is a vague and undetermined place, created by the emotional residue of an unnatural boundary. It is in a state of constant transition. The prohibited and forbidden are its inhabitants. In those moments, being from the borderlands, the frontera, made me strangely familiar, a character from a dream whose face is vaguely recognizable. But somehow, that kind of face can't be placed anywhere within our existing mental structures. And that was me, the frontera, to be clear, this was never conveyed to me in terms of a value, whether that's good or bad, but it was always made in terms as, a, as an observation. The second story comes from an experience that I had while taking the bus from the Mexican state of Chiapas back to Veracruz. I was in Chiapas visiting the famous archaeological site of Palenque. If you haven't been, you should make it a point to go. 
I remember getting on the bus and it was completely crowded. A young man sat next to me on my left. What I didn't fully appreciate at that time was that the bus would make it a point to stop every time we crossed the state line. So we made two stops from Chiapas to Tabasco and Tabasco to Veracruz. And at each stop, an immigration official would get on the bus and ask the same three men for their papers. And each time the men would produce the same documents. Um, which, from where I was sitting, appeared to be their passports and travel documents. On the second stop, I made the mistake of looking up and looking at the immigration official in the eye, which was my naive way of saying, hey, come talk to me. The official approaches the same gentleman and this time points at me and says, hey, you, I want to see your identification. I pull out my bus ticket and my passport from my pocket. The official was standing far enough away from my seat that I had to stand up and extend my unmistakable blue American passport with my left arm with my left arm for the entire bus to see. And the entire dynamic around me just completely changed. The official picked up his phone and made a phone call, and I have no idea what was said to him. And I just hear his responses. Uh-huh, 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 americano, uh-huh, entendido. And he hangs up the phone. And he begins to ask me why I'm going to Veracruz. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember politely telling him that I was a student on an exchange at the Veracruzana. And I think I pulled out a document with my name on it from the Veracruzana to confirm this. The official looked me in the eye, paused, and said thank you while handing me back my papers. As an outsider, I had no idea about what had just transpired. I knew it was serious, but that's all I could, I could gather. And when I arrived back in Veracruz, I met with a very close friend the following day and recounted the story to her. And towards the end, she said in a very matter-of-fact way, Francisco, they were probably deciding whether or not they should kidnap you. I don't remember what she said after that because her words were still reverberating in my ears. What I didn't appreciate at the time, particularly, and in that general area of Mexico, is how the drug war was unfolding. I can't say whether or not my friend is accurate. You know, I don't have the ability to confirm or disconfirm what she told me. I'll just say that it's speculative, but, you know, it's not impossible. It's been eight years since this happened. And what I can say, and then upon much reflection, is that there was an ugly fight between shadow forces, such as a Los Zetas cartel, when I was conducting fieldwork. And it was scary. In September 2011, in Boca del Rio, a town just south of the port of Veracruz, 35 bodies were dumped on the street for everyone to see. Even the state attorney general at the time, during the press conference that was supposed to reassure the public that the state of Veracruz was safe, did not mention any specific group or groups who might have been responsible. However, if you talk to anyone that you trusted, they could have they could credibly speculate who did it, even if they didn't necessarily know why. I still think about the second story quite often. I remember learning how to have conversations without asking personal questions. I remember trying to not be curious with people that I didn't know. Curiosity in, in, in some of these instances could get you in trouble because you didn't know who you were really talking to. That was another form of awareness. 
another level of consciousness, if you will. And in terms of the second story, showing my passport to the immigration official was a privilege, and at the same time brought a level of public visibility that I wasn't comfortable with. Being from the frontera in that moment simply didn't matter. I was only seen as an American. If I could replay and adapt the words I mentioned earlier, I could hear someone on the bus saying, Si Francisco, historicamente, tú eres mexicano. Si Francisco, culturalmente, tú eres mexicano. Si, pues, tu familia es de Chihuahua, Jalisco y Durango. Pero tú, Francisco, tú eres americano y nada más. I'm proud to be from the frontera. It's a way of being, a way of speaking, a form of living. I don't know how else, how else to end this episode. I'll finish by saying, Me llamo Francisco. Soy de la frontera. Gracias y hasta la próxima. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Bridge Between. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Your reviews are important. I'd love to hear from you and what you think about the show. If you'd like to reach out, you can email me at thebridgebetween at gmail.com. That's thebridgebtwn at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at thebridgebetween. That's thebridgebtwn. Thank you for listening.